I know over the years, Pastor Krause and I have had some pretty interesting sermon illustrations at times, or uh, maybe kind of intense um, sermon introductions, but I don't think any of them compare to what Jesus did at the beginning of this lesson today, and how he... Chris, I knew you wouldn't mind. Did in this lesson, and how he flipped over tables... Knocked out chairs. And if anyone's like, did he really just do that? Jesus did it in a house of worship. He had something he needed to teach us. Something pretty intense. And so, I don't know if there's ever a lesson that maybe draws our attention all the more. Apparently, Jesus was awfully passionate about this lesson. And so, we get the opportunity to dive into it today, too. And see, what is it that Jesus was so riled up about that he did this, and he flipped tables over and tossed money all over. What was going on? We're going to find some of God's glory by asking, what would Jesus undo? The lesson we have is Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. It says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written? My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, throughout this series, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and kind of moving ahead bit by bit, But with today's lesson, we really do a jump. So everything so far was really through the first six chapters, which is really that first part of the gospel where where Mark is presenting all of these times where Jesus is doing these miracles and so on, and people are really just amazed. Like, who is this guy? Well, with our lesson, we really jump ahead now to the how he's carrying out his ministry. We're actually to a scene that happens during Holy Week. So during the days that lead up to Jesus being crucified on the cross. Last week, we had that incredible lesson where Jesus walks on the water after waiting on the shore for a few hours, lets his disciples struggle a bit trying to do it on their own, and then he walks out to them and teaches them something pretty amazing about themselves, shows them his glory. Our lesson today jumps forward now to actually after Palm Sunday has even happened. And Jesus has rode into Jerusalem, and all the, the pieces are really getting set for Jesus to ultimately go and die for us on the cross. Leading right up to our lesson itself, we have that interesting story, and we read it for our background lesson, both the verses that lead right up to our sermon lesson, and then what comes right after, where Jesus is walking in, sees that fig tree that is, that is in bloom. It looks good. It looks like you might be able to get something from it, but actually... There's no fruit there, and so he curses it. And when you read the verses that come after the lesson, we see that it did, in fact, die. And the fact that Mark actually puts these really before and then right after our lesson, it really sandwiches it, it bookends it, it really highlights for us what's going on in our lesson. That Jesus is going to get into a place that looks alive, but is absent of fruit. And so it's time for it to come to an end. The scene that we have here before us where we ask this question, what would Jesus undo? The setting is the temple. And so it would be good for us to stop and to refresh our memories a bit what the temple is all about. Because it's more than just a church building. There is some incredible significance for us 
when you think about how God relates with us and how he relates for the world through the temple. If you could go back to the city of Jerusalem during Bible times, the biggest thing you'd see is the temple. This beautiful building was designed by King David and built by King Solomon, and they believed that it's of the God of the universe. Wait, I thought God's home was in heaven. Well, the whole point of this earthly temple is that it's the place that overlaps with God's God heavenly home. The temple is where God lives and rules all creation. Even Solomon, that's cool, even Solomon who built the temple, didn't believe Solomon who built the temple, didn't believe God of that. Yeah, the building was just a symbol. And it pointed to the fact that all of creation is God's temple. And that's actually what the first page of the Bible, Genesis 1, says that creation is God's temple. Well, it doesn't need to say it, the whole story shows it. In Genesis 1, God creates an ordered world out of a dark wasteland by speaking in a series of seven days. Then on the seventh day, God's presence fills creation as he takes up his rest and rule. Similarly, the tabernacle and later the temple were built and dedicated in a series of seven speeches and seven days, after which the priest or king could rest and rule in God's presence. Ah, so all of creation is where God intends to dwell. It's like his temple. Exactly. Now, turn the page to Genesis 2 and we get another portrait of creation. This one focuses in on the land. And in the center of the land is a region called Eden, which in Hebrew means delight. And in the middle of delight, God plants a garden in which God and humanity live together. And that's why the temple was modeled after the garden, filled with imagery of gold and flowers. The menorah symbolized the tree of life. It's the place where God dwells with his people. Oh, got it. And check this out. In the temple, the Israelite priests and Levites were to work and to keep the temple in God's presence. This is exactly the job description given to humanity in the Garden of Eden. So these humans were the first priests. But instead of ruling with God, they wanted to rule on their own terms, and they're exiled from the Garden Temple. And like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders also wanted to rule on their own terms, and they too were exiled. The temple was destroyed, and this left them wondering, did God give up on Israel? Will God bring about a new creation? Well, the biblical prophets anticipated the day when God would create a new temple with a new priesthood. That's when God's presence would fill all of creation. And when the Israelites returned to the land, they did rebuild the temple. But that temple didn't turn out the way the prophets hoped. In fact, later Israelite prophets said that this temple was hopelessly corrupt. So they're still waiting for the ultimate temple. And here we come to the story of Jesus. He said that through him, God's presence and rule was coming into our world in a new way. And he presented himself as a new kind of priest. But Jesus wasn't a priest, and he didn't work in the temple. Right. Jesus said that God's presence, his rest and rule, was filling the world through his own life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was claiming that he was the true temple. And this new temple would expand out to include all of creation. That's a really big claim. And it got even bigger. After his resurrection, Jesus said that God's presence would come to dwell in and among his followers so that they would become mini temples. Communities of people where God rests and rules. Exactly. This is the Bible's vision of the church, which is described as a temple. Not a building, but people. 
Yeah, like when Peter says, you all are living stones built up as a temple for God's spirit to dwell. So, at the end of the story, do we ever get a new physical temple? Well, not exactly. What we see is a renewed cosmic temple, just like Genesis 1. And this new creation doesn't need a temple building because through Jesus, all creation is now the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. So the temple is a whole lot more than just a place of worship. I mean, it really reminds us of how God designed the world for us to, to relate with him. That it would be this place where he would dwell with people and we would partner with him and, and, and rule the world with him in a way that, that, that reflects him and it is a, a display of his goodness and his glory. The temple is also a reminder that Adam and Eve didn't, didn't stay in that position but rather handed that over and decided to do things their own way so they broke that partnership. But God in his grace decided to, to, to carry out a plan to renew it, to bring it back. And so that physical temple is part of that. It's pointing ahead to what he would do, ultimately by paying for the sins of humankind so we could be right with him again. The temple points us to what we were created for, reminds us of how it was broken, but then points us to the solution. And as we think about the temple now for us today, it's a reminder now how God relates to us and how God would now fill the world with his glory through us. It's beautiful and hugely significant, the temple. And it's here at the temple that we ask the question, what would Jesus undo? As we see Jesus coming to the temple, we're told that on reaching Jerusalem, when he entered the temple area, he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Now, at first glance, we can see, okay, Jesus, he's got some sort of issue with what's going on with the buying and selling there. But if you meditate a bit on what he's talking about too, or the details that Mark gives us, there are some things that are being highlighted. So look specifically, who is it that Mark highlights him overturning the tables of? Well, first of all, we have the money changers. Why would you need to change money when you get to the temple? When do you ever have to change currency? Just, I'm asking, say it out. When, when, when do you have to change currency? What's that? When you go to a new place, right? A new country? Yeah. The money changers would have dealt more specifically with people who came from other places. Especially those who come from foreign countries. Remember, the temple is a place where people would pilgrimage from, from a variety of places. Think about Pentecost, right? And people from all these different nations coming upon Jerusalem. This is, this, this, this is what happened at the temple. And so you would have people coming from these different places who needed to exchange money. Um, there's also some thought that perhaps there was a specific temple coinage. And so maybe even some of the fairly local people might have had to change uh, some of their currency too. But either way, the emphasis seems to be, especially with, with people who are coming from the outside in, somebody who is foreign to the temple would need to change their money. So he overturns the tables of the money changers, those dealing with those coming in from the outside who are foreign to the temple. But then also the benches, and that's why I made a point to throw the chair over too, not just the table, but the benches of those selling doves. And what's the significance of those selling doves? Well, there is a, a Levitical rule or law that allows, really it calls for like a lamb or a sheep or a goat typically, but 
If you needed to, you could provide a dove or pigeon instead if you met certain requirements. And what are those requirements? That you are financially strapped. The pigeons, the doves, were being sold to those who were poor. And so Jesus overturns the benches of those who are selling to the poor. There's something wrong here, something off here, with the way people are treating those who come from the outside who are foreign to them, and those who are the poor and the downtrodden, the outcast, maybe, of their society. Jesus flips over the tables of the money changers, those dealing with the foreign. He flips over the benches of those who are selling to the poor. And then he also, we're told this detail, that Jesus basically puts a big stop sign. Hope it didn't. That's good. I thought it sounded like I broke it for a minute. Um, big stop sign in the middle of the temple. Not a slow down, be careful, you're at a house of worship. Stop sign. And you might go, what's, what's he doing here? Well, got to give Pastor K credit. He found this, uh, this, this little historical note that even actually outside of the Bible and just the, the Jewish rabbinical writings around the time, they, they actually ended up forbidding people from carrying merchandise through this part of the temple because it was so disruptive that people just could not worship. And so Jesus stops people from carrying stuff through the temple because carrying stuff through the temple disrupted the worship that was supposed to happen at the temple, which isn't that what the temple is actually all about to begin with? People were so busy, it was so lively, that it was actually getting in the way of what the temple was there to do to begin with. So he puts a big stop sign there. So Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers, those dealing with those who are foreign, come from other places, overturns the benches of the doves, people who are selling to the poor, and then he stops anybody who is getting in the way of the worship. Already we've got some pretty good clues to what Jesus would undo. But then he begins to teach. And as he begins to teach, he really then fleshes out for us what's going on. What is he thinking about? We're told, and then as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations? Now Jesus, he asked this question, makes this quotation, and it's with it there's so much power that comes with it. This is why we read our first background lesson today. Because in that first background lesson today, Isaiah, remember, is celebrating that God's people are called to be a light to the world. And remember that the temple is not just there for the Jewish people, but also so that people could come from whatever nation or background, doesn't matter, and you can come to the temple and you can worship God and you can begin to have that relationship restored with God and begin to experience what life is like partnering with God. This house is meant to be a house for the world, a light to the world. And as the world came to the temple, apparently the way those money changers were dealing with the world was missing the point. That the world's not coming there whether to make money or whatever. The world was coming there because God's a light to the world. There's something off with the way the people at the temple thought about the world around them. And they were missing these words from Isaiah that talked about the temple being a light to the world and that God would embrace the world and that the whole point was to give hope and healing to the world. This is the first quote. But then Jesus also, he goes on to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. I love how Jesus can take two quotations and basically put it into one line of thought. Like, it's just, man, it's just amazing what he packs in with just a few words. 
Because here again, he's, he quotes another section. This was our second lesson. The lesson from Jeremiah. And a section where Jeremiah is calling out all these things that were going on. That yes, you've got the temple. And yeah, you guys were able to do all these different things. But you're having issues with oppressing the alien. And for the kids, just a clarification, that, remain, that refers to someone not from that country. Not from outer space, okay? Alien is referring to someone who is an immigrant, who is coming from a foreign, a foreign land, okay? Don't oppress the immigrant, the alien. Don't oppress the fatherless, the widow. Those are typically the people who were the poor in town. Right away, you can see the connection to the, to the doves, to the pigeons, right? But then he also goes on in Jeremiah lists, shedding innocent blood, trusting in deceptive words that are worthless, stealing, murdery, committing adultery, perjury, burning incense and following other false gods, that there's all these things that, yeah, you've got this going on, all these outward forms of worship going on in the temple, but there's all this list of other stuff. And you mean to tell me that you're going to do all this other stuff and then come here and say, well, we're at the temple, we're good. Don't. That's at the end of this where that line came in where God was like, but I have been keeping watch and paying attention. That God's not happy with just the temple if we're letting all these other things happen or doing them. He says, you have made it a den of robbers. That phrase, den of robbers, is interesting too. Uh, first of all, the word den, most literally the idea, it means a cave or a hideout. So it's not just a place where you hang out, it's a hideout. So the temple is like a place where people go to hide. You put on this outward front, you think of, a, well, last night we were reading in your book. What was, I forget the, the, the Mia, the Mayhem Mia or something, right? And she was a superhero, and they went to the, where the superheroes stay, and it looked like a, an abandoned warehouse, but actually it was this, this different place in the inside. It was like camouflage, right? The temple was kind of like this. Looks good, lively, active, like a living fig tree, but no fruit. You get in and it's different. It's not really going on what's going on. It's, it's a hideout for robbers. And the word robber, it, we, it's, it's really, it's important. Like we kind of tend to use like robber and thief interchangeably. They're very different terms biblically. So a robber is someone who doesn't just steal, but then causes hurt or harm in the process. And it also, it carries with it this kind of this, this context, this, this flavor of something that would happen like in a, in a battle. So like another word for this could be like plunderer. So you go and you're like in a battle, but then also you steal their goods, you hurt people, but then you take their things in the process. Maybe we think of like if you've watched like a pirate movie, right? You know, they inflict violence, they steal, all this stuff goes together. Like this is kind of the idea with the robbers is that it's somebody who, who inflicts pain on someone while taking from them as well. The term robber is used uh, several times throughout the Gospels in some pretty significant times. Uh, Jesus uses it a couple times in his teachings uh, when he uh, was uh, talking about like the Good Samaritan and there's a man who goes and he, he's on his way to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls into the hands of robbers. Somebody who attacks them and doesn't just take his things but leaves them basically for dead. Right? So you've got a robber, someone who causes physical violence. You also have it in John 10 where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and 
robbers. So he's talking about people who are presenting themselves like messiahs, but not. That they are causing, not just taking from people, but causing harm. But there's a couple other times, too, where this word comes up where it's especially, man, it just the layers of meaning in Scripture are just so interesting. These couple other times that it comes up, you might not necessarily see it right away based on your English translation. Here's two examples. Mark 14, 48. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, they come to him to arrest him. And the NIV translation says, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Literally, it says, Am I a robber? It's the same word. Now, you might think, well, why do they say, like, am I leading a rebellion? Well, another time that it's used also gives us some insight to some of the other kind of baggage or context that comes with this word. Think about the man Barabbas who was released instead of Jesus, right? And some of the Gospels talk about how Barabbas was in prison because he was with, uh, he was with the insurrectionists. So he was part of the people who tried to violently overthrow the Romans on behalf of the Jews. And that's an, that's an important detail to keep in mind. I, I, it wasn't until a few years ago that it dawned on me. Like, I always wondered, why would people even want a criminal released to him? Well, if that criminal was someone who was rebelling against the Romans on behalf of the Jews, then you do want them. You know, like if you've got a, a people who sympathize with that and are like, yeah, this guy's he's a, like a freedom fighter. We want him back. That, make, that makes more sense why they would have this tradition. Well, while some Gospels refer to him as a murderer or an insurrectionist, in John, it says, now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. The word there is, now Barabbas was a robber. Apparently, the term robber doesn't just carry the context of beating up somebody to get something from them, but also the context of really trying to violently take something back, like in a rebellion. Or like with Barabbas, violently trying to overthrow the Romans and battle against them and cause pain to achieve your cause or what you are trying to do. This is a meaning that is very, this is a word that is very rich biblically. You can have it in a personal way where you're just like attacking and taking from someone, but also where you're trying to achieve your mission or your, your purpose through violent means. Okay, so now Jesus says, you have made it a den, a hideout of robbers. Keep that in your head as you think about, again, what the temple was supposed to be. The temple is supposed to be a, a place of hope and light to the world. The temple is supposed to be a place where those who are hurting and, and broken find healing. They find hope. They find renewed relationship with God. This is what the temple was supposed to be. What did Jesus see when he got there? Jesus saw money changers and he overthrew their temples because the way of looking at the world, instead of maybe seeing the world as, as, as people who need hope and need light, he began to see them as people who you could take advantage of and for your own good, rob in a way. People who, who, who were poor needing help and needing healing and instead of being that, that light and that hope, he overthrew the benches of the people with the pigeons because they were not being what God had designed them to be. They were being robbers. Stopping all the movement through the temple because he saw people moving through so much that the place that was meant to be a light to the world was actually getting in the way of the worship of the world. What would Jesus undo? Apparently he would undo a temple that missed its point. 
Undo a temple that took advantage of the world instead of become a light to the world. Undo practices where people end up hurting others instead of being a place of healing for others. Undo a place where people get in the way of worshiping God instead of helping people worship God. This is what Jesus would undo. But now here's the question that's so significant for us. If Jesus walked into the temple and he saw money changers, and he saw people selling doves, and he saw people walking through so much that it got in the way of worship and actually took, took, and took from people and caused pain to people. If that's what Jesus saw in that temple, if Jesus were to walk into the temple today, our temple, the church, not just abiding shepherd, but the church, walk into the temple in the world, the church in the world, and the temple in our hearts, Here's the question I have for you. What would Jesus see? Would Jesus see anything like the money changers or the pigeon sellers, dove sellers, or all the busyness going through? And at first it might seem like a weird question. Well, we're not selling, you know, doves at church or money changing or stuff. But let's boil down what was going on there. It looked like a lively place of worship. It looked alive like the fig tree, but it wasn't producing the fruit of what it was meant to do. Is there any way in the church or in our hearts where sometimes we look like we're alive and being very Christian, but the fruit is not there? Where we are missing the point of what we are meant to be or meant to do, or maybe even inflicting hurt where there's supposed to be hope. And be healing. And sometimes I, and this is something that, and many, some of you have been here have shared with me. I know that a number of you are here, partly because you've been at places before, churches or places or congregations that are supposed to give hope and healing to you, and you've only found hurt and judgment. I know that's part of why you're here. Some of you, or maybe that's not the why you're here. But I've heard stories where people will tell me like, "There's this awful thing that happened." And I was in this place where I was supposed to find hope and all the people were just judgmental and hurtful. I know that happens in the church. And I'm concerned sometimes too that when you, think of, when you look at the world right now and people, we talk a lot about, you know, the world is shifting, shifting its morality and it definitely is. And there are a lot of concerning things. But we need to be careful as we talk about the world to not lose sight of our calling to be light to the world. What I mean by that is it's very easy to slip into the perspective of a lot of the Jews had, where they saw the Romans not as a people who need the light of God and the love of God, but as a people to be conquered. Sometimes when there's opposing opinions or viewpoints, we can lose sight of the fact that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the, princes, the spiritual powers, that these are people who need hope and love not to be conquered. We want to conquer the evil powers by pointing them to Jesus. It, it can very easily slip into the robber mentality. And it can be in a collective way where the church does this sometimes and where we start trying to achieve the will of God through human means like many of the Jewish people tried to do, like Barabbas tried to do. Although there may have been a lot of personal selfish things there, I don't know. We can't, I'm not judging the heart of Barabbas. But where many of the Jewish people were trying to achieve godly things through human means. But sometimes in very individual ways too. You know, like when you find out somebody is stuck in a sin or a sinful lifestyle, and it can be so easy to talk about, can you believe that? Or that person or that thing? 
You know, where it can be so easy to, to kind of look judgmentally at someone or talk judgmentally about someone or post online judgmentally about someone. I mean, and we can lose sight in what that person needs is not to be conquered or beaten down to help us feel better, but what they need is Jesus. Now, please be clear. They might need the law, but they need it in love. Not to be beaten down over the head, but to be pointed to the cross. And it's important that we come alongside people to hear, do they need the law right now or do, or do they need the gospel? Some people are stuck in a lifestyle because they are hurt or they're traumatized or whatever, and they don't know the way out. And what they need right now is not, a lot of law, not another law over their heads. They just need some hope. It's very, it can be so easy to miss what the temple is all about. And today we have this lesson to show to us that Jesus came to flip over those tables. He came to flip over the tables of the church and our hearts where we miss what we were meant to be, where we maybe act really Christian and put on the front, but in our minds we're being critical or judgmental and we're forgetting that we are here to be a light to the world. He came to flip over those ways where we, where we are, are, are missing the point that, that the Christian faith is not just about me going to church and it's not even just about me hearing about God, but it's about being in Christ and then Christ working in me to bring hope and light to the world. Jesus came to flip over those tables. But not just to flip over those tables. He flipped over those tables to teach us something, but here's the most beautiful thing is that the ultimate way Jesus undoes this temple is not by flipping over those tables. It's by dying on a cross. Now catch this. Between two what? Two robbers. Jesus died a robber's death. That's what he was really accused of, is of being a robber. Crucified between two robbers. Jesus died a robber's death so he could die your death. He could pay your price for every way that you have missed what God has created you to be. For all those ways that we have maybe taken from others or beat up on others to make ourselves. Jesus died your death so the debt is paid. So you could be forgiven. So you could be right. What would Jesus undo or maybe I should ask, what did Jesus undo? Everything sinful and broken about you is gone in the cross. He has paid for it. It is forgiven. It is removed. In God's sight, you are as perfect as Jesus. You are baptized into Christ, clothed into Christ. He sees you and he delights in you. And not only does he delight in you, but when he undid that first temple, he now says you get to be the new temple. And when Jesus died, remember, another, this is another temple undoing thing, right? What happened to the temple curtain? Torn from top to bottom. So now you have access to God, but also this old way of doing things, we've got the temple and there's this curtain that separates and all this, all that is it's torn. It's not the way it works anymore. Now you don't go to the temple, the temple comes to you. The presence of God is in you. And the hope and healing for the world exists in you. And you now get to look around and see where people 
need healing. Where somebody who is outside needs to be brought in to the family of God. Where someone who is poor, whether it's financially or spiritually, needs the wealth of the riches of the love of God. You get to now be the temple as God's glory fills the world. And as you do it, we're told here that the whole crowd was amazed. They were just amazed because Jesus' teaching was so different. Like, he's just calling out the establishment. He's doing, he's doing, he's just, he's so different. They're, um, they're blown away. In a world where people are so naturally bent on putting down others for their own sake and taking advantage of other people, do you know how different we are called to be as the church? As a group of people who sometimes will flip tables, but not not primarily actually towards the world, but towards ourselves in repentance and looking to the cross. And in a world that ultimately it's not just about flipping tables, but it's about pointing to Jesus. How different we get to be. Now, recognize, this also made the people hate Jesus all the more, the religious leaders. Sometimes you get that conflict when you flip tables. But it is worth it to see the glory of God, to look forward to the day, to live looking forward to the day where Jesus returns and sets it all right, and to live as his temple now. You want to see the glory of God? Look in places in the world where people are being taken advantage of and overlooked and see how Jesus is different. You want to see the glory of God? Go back and flip the tables in your own heart and then see how Jesus paid for it on the cross. You want to see the glory of God? Live as the temple, welcoming people in, meeting people with the gospel. You want to see the glory of God? Ask, what would Jesus undo?